All right. Welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hertz and uh, Adam, you know, I'm wondering about my own reliability as an open source these days because I realized <laughs> I follow at least two cats on Twitter and I was like, huh, I'm getting news from cats. I, maybe that's just life in 2022. Huh? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you follow any pets on Twitter? I'm like, I, I bet you don't. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I follow so many people on Twitter. A cat could have sneaked in there at some point or maybe even a dog or a mouse. Um, and they give you the best advice. Well, I mean, given given how much BS is out there on Twitter, it can't yeah. be can't can't be the worst. I mean, if you're following a cat on Twitter and they're and they're still going uh, and they haven't been taken down yet, you know, maybe maybe they Rockstar. are maybe they are a reliable source. I don't know. I, I yeah, I would seem so. Oh, okay. I'll just keep following them then. Okay, I don't feel so bad. <laughs> Follow the cats. Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Guelph's progressive conservative candidate for the upcoming 2022 election. His name is Peter McSherry, and he's going to talk to us about why he's running, what issues he think will be the most important, and what Doug Ford is really like one-on-one. And that will be at the bottom of the hour. Before that, we are going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including the inquiry into Canada's biggest murder spree, which is now underway. Are we going to get any real insight into how it all went so wrong in Nova Scotia in April, 2020? But first I'm afraid it's back to the Ukraine, which uh, as of this recording is still in Ukrainian hands one week after Russia invaded. Uh, I I recalled last week that um, we recorded before uh, the Russians started pouring over the border, but I think we we had a caveat in there that uh, <laughs> things hadn't started yet. And then coincidentally, three, you know, three or four hours later, things started. Um, but as as we stand here, I mean, I'm not going to recap the week's events. Uh, maybe the biggest news from Wednesday is that uh, Russia has seized at least one Ukrainian city, Kharkiv, uh, which is the second largest city in Ukraine. Uh, there is a heralded 40 mile long convoy which is heading for kiev uh that seems to be what the russians are going for is to insert basically encircle kiev cut it off from supplies cut it off from assistance and i guess squeeze squeeze until Zelensky pops out uh in all of drab with his harms raised that does not seem likely though in the short term no there's Quite a bit of resistance being put up and some interesting ones. I'm sure you've seen them, Adam, with uh, mm-hmm. peop- literally just people standing in front of tanks. Mm-hmm. Sheer numbers trying to like, and the, you know, the, the grandma berating the Russian soldier and the seats in the pockets, like all these little anecdotal things that we wouldn't see normally if it wasn't for the, the age and the era of social media. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, that convoy kept getting long. The number I kept hearing, it kept getting longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if some of that was maybe fake news to say, you know, look, we're coming, but it was, you know, there's a couple of reliable sources that said, no, that's how long it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, um, well, you can actually look up like open source satellite pictures online and 
see the convoy for yourself so which is amazing like spy <laughs> there is i don't say there is no spycraft now but things have these have to put up a plane now and that's just all in real time we're seeing yeah uh all this happening and speaking of squeeze uh the the squeeze is on with russia financially mm-hmm. the ruble went well there's no other way to put it but into the toilet interest <laughs> rates up a run on the banks and the, you know the, this is one of the things that's painful to see in terms of i mean it's this is all Putin, but you can see that regular Russians are suffering too in terms of just trying to get money out of the bank. You know, they're mm-hmm. running out of banknotes. It's it's all of that crisis stuff, and it, it's actually amazing too how many uh, people in Russia, Moscow in particular, who are protesting against this, knowing mm-hmm. full well that they're going to get arrested because quote protests aren't allowed. <laughs> so it wouldn't matter where you were protesting, but specifically this, they want to to gather up, and I, and I I did see a. Um, Babushka getting uh, carried away, and I was thinking, my God, if if those if those cops do anything to that woman, they are probably all dead. Mm. Uh, so yeah, they, it you know it's not limited to that. And actually, just just before I hit in the air there, when I saw on the local news that the, the Russian community in Kitchener, KW, and area are having a um, a solidarity protest, I believe it is today Thursday as we're airing, mm-hmm. uh, which was inter- which is interesting to me. That that's. It's it's almost a very Canadian thing to do. I think about going to when I used to go to the Starsky in Mississauga and how all of these countries mm. collectively they all shop there. You know what I mean? It's like we are we are sort of in this. It's not quite a bubble, but the perspective this far away is completely different. But yet, um, it's definitely bringing certain communities together in 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 a weird way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and there is obviously there is a lot that's weird about this too but we'll get into that yeah it's it seems like a massive miscalculation on the part of russia i think you know putin was under the impression he could go in and maybe frighten if not frighten ukrainians into surrendering like at least maybe frighten Zelensky into um taking off and of course there's that there was that famous line where he said i don't need a ride i don't need ammunition uh Hmm. which um I mean, that's kind of the real, I think the real kind of message out of this and why the, like some of the sanctions and stuff have been so strong. It's, you know, people said, oh, you actually, you can still stand up to uh, a demagogue, even if he has an army on the march, you still can stand up to a bully. Um, The the question is how tight the resolve will hold. uh, Because I mean, every story you see on the news, that's like, uh, Ukraine is is fighting for their independence, for their freedom. Putin is uh, having a rough go of it. The invasion is stalled. And then the next story on the news is gas prices are high. The gas buddy, gas buddies pulling his hair out. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, you know, it, it's just it, it, it's amazing to me, even though we do see these instances of solidarity and even the, the Catholic, the Ukrainian Catholic Church here in Guelph is um, been very successful in raising funds and and um, getting donations though they are asking for funds more than they're asking for donations of physical stuff uh the question is how tightly will the resolve be if people see a dollar 75 per liter gas um you know is is that enough to sort of like why is why is this gas so expensive it's it's just there's i think there's a cognitive dissonance we're not anticipating that people can say 
with their mouths or, you know, on resistance Twitter that they, they, you know, they support the Ukraine and they support the fight for freedom, but not if it means paying a dollar 75 per liter for gas for months on end, because that's the most important thing in the world um, for people on a daily basis. Um, I, I, that's my kind of fear out of all of this is that the, the, the local concern is going to um, outrun the, I guess, international or existential concern about, you know, putting up a real fight against Putin. Yeah. bit of distance there, actually a lot. Mm. Uh, yeah. And in, in terms of, I mentioned news of the weird there. Uh, I saw that earlier in the week, Putin talking about, I think it was a replay of when he initially declared this quote, special operation mm-hmm. was that they were, one of his lines was we we're going to go after the drug addicts and neo-Nazis. And I'm like, what, like, <laughs> where is that coming from? I mean, I get the neo-Nazi thing because what seems to be happening here is he's trying to harness the spirit of 1941. Mm-hmm. He's, he's really trying to fight a retro kind of battle here by, by embracing things that Russians are familiar with, which was 1941 was when the, uh, the Nazi Germany invaded uh, the Soviet union. Mm-hmm. So he seems to be a man stuck in Soviet times and Soviet mindset, but it's 2022. One of the key differences is that he has a lot of money stashed in the way away in the bank that however this goes, he could still, I mean, he didn't even have to do this. He could have said, okay, I'm out of here. Mm. Here are the keys and gone and lived quite a fine life with the billions squirreled away. Right. That's true. Right. It's, Mm. but he can, it's about power. It's it's about power and yeah. Yeah. I was reading an interview with Fiona Hill, who's uh, sort of one of the leading experts on Putin, uh, sadly famous for testifying in Donald Trump's first impeachment trial. Mm. Uh, She, um, she made the point, you know, it's not even about looking backwards at, you know, World War Two. She, you know, she said Stalin's been down in the archives looking up old like like 19th century maps of Russia when you know they had a huge frontier and there was the idea of the Russian Imperium and uh, he's it's kind of more czarist thinking than you know sort of Stalinist or even Leninist thinking. He's thinking that far back uh, at you know these good old days. And again, speaking to the cognitive dissidents. Um, He's convinced of sort of the patriotism of this. Meanwhile, we're hearing stories about a lot of the frontline Russian troops, a lot of whom are conscripted. Um, they're not even like it's not an all volunteer fighting force. So a lot of the Russian soldiers are just, you know, they are picked up one day and they're in the Russian army pretty much. Mm-hmm. And they're going and they're being told like, oh, this is like a training exercise. And then uh, they get out in the field and being confronted by, you know, Ukrainians saying like, hey, you're invading us. Get the hell out of here. And they're like, we're invading you. That's impossible. So that's, you know, the, the troops, the frontline troops are I mean, sadly, almost literally caught in the middle of this, too. A lot of them that, you know, they think they're just kind of going about their daily business harm free. And then they find out that they're, you know, bombing grandma's shack in the middle of nowhere, rural Ukraine. So. Well, that's always been war, though, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and with with the scale of this, there are going to be some. Well, there are there was there has been no conflict like this. I mean, there has been the 
what was going on in the in the Donbass, which is where I thought this was going to stop, and it may be where it stops. I think mm-hmm. if they are going to make a deal, and it sounds like there's talks this week, mm-hmm. and I also heard that Beijing wants to get involved. So I Great. think, I think, well, <laughs> no, but as a mediator, like China, China has, you know, had sort of taken a step back on this, not wanting to rock anybody's boat because they have interests in, in both worlds. Mm. Uh, Ukraine, the Belt and Road Initiative, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. uh, is, is very, or was very active. I mean, I obviously stalled now, but they, but it, both Ukraine and Russia have a relationship with China. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's why the, um, it's it, it's something that may occur is that they may be able to act as a media. I don't know if somebody was just spitballing that, but um, here's hoping. I mean, if that if that's what it took to just bring a, a stop, a cessation to this right away. Uh, well, there's a, there's a big question. I think if Ukraine would accept that because China, you know, Xi and Putin met sort of on the eve of this, so it, it seems like almost China gave their tacit permission to to Russia that, that it was a go and they wouldn't interfere and wouldn't say anything about it. And of course, you know, people are kind of looking at this as, and I think China's looking at this too, in case they ever want to make a play for Taiwan. Like, what does the worldwide reaction look like when you kind of go old school and try to invade someplace? Yeah, or like Tibet. I mean, no mm. one's talking about Tibet. It's like sure, yeah. It's that's going back a bit. It's not that you know. It's not that long ago. Yeah, uh, where it's like, well, we're just gonna we're gonna go in. Uh, and actually, it was on their what the Western Front as well. Mm. Yeah, so that's um, it's hard to say what's gonna come of the talks. If it's like the talks early in the week, they'll just be like. It won't happen. And I d- it didn't sound like there was a cease. Normally when it talks like that, there's a ceasefire. At least there was, I guess there was a bit of a weird, I keep saying weird, but there was a pause. Mm. Maybe it seems weird because of the amount of, of misinformation that's, that's coming out. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it can be difficult to sort out whether you're following a cat on Twitter or whatever. Um, and, you know, what is real here? I saw, I'm just going to give one quick example was, and I'm, I'm not sure if you saw it, Adam, was the, the woman that was driving around. It was, she, and it was posted as Ukrainian woman shows people how to find abandoned Russian artillery and vehicles. Mm-hmm. But it turns out it's actually a Russian gearhead influencer woman who is a mechanic. And uh, she was just doing this trial of this machine mm-hmm. Uh going for a little ride out the back. So it's like that, which happened a few years ago becomes here's a Ukrainian woman doing this because, you know, to the, to people in the West, you hear Ukrainian, Russian, they sound similar. They're not identical, but they are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, just, that, that's just one example. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, we know that the misinformation network in Russia is massive and you can bet the people you know what? I almost said the Soviet Union. People in <laughs> Russia. Well, <laughs> but that's that's where it stems from, though. Right? That's where the root of that comes yeah. from. And yeah. Putin is from those times, and he completely understands that. If you control the message, mm-hmm. it sounds like um, McLuhan's stuff, but it's true. Though, if you're controlling the message and steer it to where you want it to go, then people get a completely different idea. And I guess the 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 boomerang or the wrench in this now is like, okay, so what is, you know, are these um, fat tipped bullets that are going to shoot, um, you know, Russian soldiers who may be Muslim down and they go to hell. Is mm. that real? It mm. could be, we don't know. 
And going back to the Nazi thing too, I mean, this is, it keeps going on and on about the Nazis. All of these countries have their Nazis and Nazi problems. There's a yeah. Russian regiment that's loaded with Nazis. There is a Ukrainian regiment that's got Nazis in it. The Canadian military has some Nazis in it. Yeah. Uh, like this, you, you either need a new term. I mean, I guess they are neo-Nazis, but to make this the premise of your whole invasion and there's thousands and thousands of people dead now, there has to be another way. There is always another way, but he did well, not take that way with every possible um, opportunity to do that. He just pulled this, you know, pulled the court rip cord. We knew this was going to happen, right? Well, you also don't do that when the president of the country you're invading is a Jew with, um, you know, family members who died in the Holocaust because those are those people are don't tend to be neo-nazis i'm not going to say there was never a jewish neo-nazi but my suspicion is there wasn't um uh, yeah no but yeah we'll have to uh make that the last word on ukraine for oh, now, for well, that now. Went fast. Yeah. <laughs> so much there yeah yeah um we may in fact return to the topic next week depending on how things go um I want to just say quickly before we dive into this next topic, uh, discretion may be advised given some of talking about some of the uh, violence that is involved with the joint federal provincial commission into April, 2020 Nova Scotia mass casualty event, or otherwise just known as the mass, mass casualty commission uh, in April, eight, April 18 and 19, 2020, a gunman, killed 23 people including himself injured three others in what is the worst mass shooting in canadian history and now a commission in nova scotia is trying to get to the bottom of why it happened and it opened this week with uh, some testimony from uh well some of the police officers responded they they listened to or they didn't listen to but they went over some transcripts from 911 tapes and it paints a pretty clear picture that Things were maybe not as fuzzy in those first few hours as we're sort of led to believe, which I think is going to put more pressure on the RCMP to explain, uh, well, frankly, why they screwed up so badly. It was <clears throat> definitely chaotic mm-hmm. as to whether, but, you know, their, their job is to, to work through the chaos and see what's going on. I saw a couple of references back to the uh, shooting in, in uh, New Brunswick in 2014. And it was implied mm-hmm. that the, because of what had happened where it was, was it four RCMP officers were killed yeah. just in regular operations? Yeah. That there was a, uh, not a reluctance necessarily. Well, I guess it was a reluctance to, to sort of call in it, some of the things they didn't do was call in for backup. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess there was a moment where they were, they would have been able to bring in another, um, I was going to say regiment because we were talking about Ukraine, but to bring in reinforcements. <laughs> yeah. And that didn't happen. Yeah. But I guess they thought they uh, could be able to handle it, but it did It did sound there was like like there was perfect storm elements there in terms of this guy, this guy setting places on fire, mm-hmm. disguised as an RCMP officer. I mean, they really need to get to the root of that and how... It was. It's been kind of implied so far that that wasn't necessarily how he was able to move freely. But I don't know. Like, they did know almost right off the bat that that had happened because one of the neighbors said, "It's my neighbor, uh, Gabe." I'm trying to say the full name, but Gabe, yeah. the neighbor, is dressed as a cop and he's shooting people and he set his place on fire, which it sounds like was full of 
um, ammunition, among other things. So, of course, it would sound like a, a war zone, literally, mm-hmm. with all of that going off. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only three cops. So, not cops, RCMP. I guess they're cops. Uh, <laughs> three, well, they are cops. <laughs> well, it's be more specific, but it isn't, it isn't beat cops or like town cops. Right. And it sounds like they weren't familiar with the area. So, yeah. believe me, I'm not being an apologist for the RCMP, but these, this is some of the things. And it's important that all of this comes out and they can... Because that's all we can do at this point is study what went wrong. But I mean, and that's what happened in Portapik was really only part one, mm-hmm. right? That was the first half of um, what had happened that night. They're focusing on it's, it's horrible to hear too. They're focusing on these children who had had to sort of get uh, rounded up and but left mm-hmm. on their own because there weren't enough police to to handle what was going on, mm-hmm. and they were looking for the the shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, this is this is something else. It's a it's a difficult listen for sure. I think yeah, the, there's no doubt that Moncton was in the back of people's minds in this. And there there was uh, one line from the transcript that, or, or from the testimony from one of the police officers, that was like, you know, we got out of our cars and went in on foot because we didn't want like the car was like a billboard. That's how they put it. Um, but yeah, it, it's there is a big question about in, in sort of in lieu of kind of jumping to action, why they didn't take a minute to go over the facts that they had. Um, and, I, you know, I grant you that, you know, houses on fire, you're hearing, you know, sh- shells fire because, um, you know, you hear rounds go off because of the fire, the fire lights up, heat, heats the rounds and makes it sound like gunshots. Um, I guess, you know, if you, something pops at right in the fire, just generally speaking, it can sound like a gunshot too. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, in lieu of sort of jumping to action, as I was saying, you know, they could have stopped because they kind of had all the information there. There was one woman who phoned in and reported that she saw uh, a, an RCMP or she saw a car like going down this road, um, this, this side road that the locals know about that past the blueberry fields. Um, another woman, even in the first 911 call, one of the victims phoned and said like she heard the, the shot that killed her husband outside. Oof. She called 911 and said like, could send the police. I already see that like there's an RCMP car in my parking uh, lot. And they heard him. They heard her use the shooter's name in the call as well. So they could have stopped and said, okay, we have an RCMP car. We have a guy named. He sounds like the name of an area resident. Uh, we have reports from at least two witnesses talking about a car going down this blueberry patch. Um, but instead they focused on this area and 13 hours later, even like a couple hours later after that, it was clear that the, the, the perpetrator wasn't around anymore. So they concentrated all their focus in one, this one small portion as um, the shooter essentially got away mm-hmm. to, to kill even more people. And, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's going to be a matter of tactics, right? It's going to be a matter of sort of like control and intelligence gathering. And of course, a big piece of this too is going to be understanding just how close to the brink this guy was in the first place. And of course, the first, the person best qualified to answer that is his wife, whom he also attacked, but who is also, you know, sort of paradoxically facing criminal charges for buying him ammunition in the first place. And that was one of the things that was um, on the docket today is that they were trying to figure out the how and why is 
she might be able to testify because her her criminal trial is going on right now and obvious reasons you don't want to be testifying about something you're on trial about in another case so um it's (laughs) there are some some pretty substantive legal maneuverings going on here and hopefully that isn't used as an out yeah because the families the the survivors of this the families extended and otherwise uh have made a point of that and saying that she really needs to um testify or give you know speak to the inquiry right and i think that's what's going on this week is they're trying to decide okay who are we going to get who is going to be on that list of who's going to speak to this and she she has to regardless if she's on the trial or related trial Mm. and you know i guess there is a lot of uh, legal wrangling going on as you say but she has to she absolutely whatever means whatever that takes now this is supposed to the time frame for this was, and it probably won't follow this time frame, was that all, all testimony in by May and a rough draft of the report and then it out in November, mm. which seems fast. Seems really fast. I mean, I know yeah. it's been two years, but it's like the wheels are just getting rolling on this. They've done the preliminary, you know, what, what we've been hearing in the media. Um, but then it's like now, now it's the point where everybody um, has to say their piece or give a, you know, written written report or written testimony let's say uh to this but yeah if she did like it, it would be a failing on everybody's part if, if she doesn't speak because it it was said i don't know if it was from her lawyer that it said well she's already you know she sat down with the police four times i don't know what more you want i guess it's mm-hmm. a lawyer's job to do that mm-hmm. it does sound like running interference though well um, i mean it's it's you know talking about the deadline too though i mean how many times did the the inquire into missing and murdered indigenous women and girls sort of like run over time. So it's not like these things are etched in stones. It, it, they could yeah. delay. And I, I think it's more important to sort of get it right, especially the gender-based violence piece of this, which is something oh, yeah. you really need the wife for it's. And I, I think my hope is, I don't want to say, I think that everyone wants to get it right. Like this is, there's politics to this, like everything. So my hope is they will take the time to get it right. And not just sort of mad dash towards deadlines. Like, a freshman writing an essay. Yeah. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and it's it's probably not really our place or my place to speculate, but Mm -hmm. we were talking about that, how he got away and he Mm -hmm. wasn't an RCMP car. Why couldn't the second team have, have blocked the main road? Mm. As soon as I read that. And and even when it happened, I'm like, so why weren't, you know, we've seen it in Ottawa that you block the road, Mm -hmm. whether there's a little side road on the farm, whatever, but again, and, Saying that too, it was out in the country. So other than the fires, it was pitch black, right? So mm-hmm. there are all these little pieces, but there's, oh my God, there's so many people. Been and to hear the, I guess they didn't play the 911 or whatever, but to hear about those, those poor kids in that, in that place is just, and this, you know, this, this is just the start of it, right? We're just getting the bits and pieces of this out. It's going to yeah, trickle out for the next uh, few months or probably the rest of the year, I would imagine. Yeah, so stay tuned for more about that as well. Uh, for now, we're going to turn to Ontario problems, which seem much less scary and <laughs> uncertain, um, but they are still our problems. And we're going to get Peter McSherry uh, on the line to talk about all that. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Seeking out a rhythm that can take the tension on 
stepping in and out of that crooked, crooked beat. It has a crooked past this crooked street where cars patrol this crooked beat. Badges, flash, and sirens, well, they'll be taking one and all to jail. And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week, Royal Cat Records 21 MacDonnell in the downtown. And that song was from The Clash, 1980. The song was called The Crooked Beat, which was also the year that a show called The Crooked Beat started on CFRU 42 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure. I'm sure some people have ta- uh, in town have heard, but if you haven't heard yet, the host of the Crooked Beat, the titan of reggae music, not just in Guelph, but possibly in Ontario and across Canada mm-hmm. for all of those years, Nick Taylor, a.k.a. Nicky Dread, passed away this week. Um, Adam and I used to be on a show that was before or just after... Uh, no, we were before the we Crooked before. Beat for a while. Yeah. That's the thing in community radio, you move around a bit. And you get to know people in kind of five-minute increments over yeah. a course of years and years. And Nick had been there for so many years that, you know, it was just uh, just the, the best guy. He's going to be so missed. And uh, coming up, and I'll just say, not immediately because this is just um, very recent news, but mm. we'll obviously be having some tributes to him in the in the near future. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, it has completely shocked our community that he's gone. Best to his family and uh, much respect. Yeah, uh, well said. It's uh, it's sad, um, you know, that to, to, <laughs> to dedicate yourself to a pro- that pro- a project for forty years. Um, yeah, I. It's like I don't that. think we'll see the like again. Like it just, no. it just won't happen, right? It's, it's so. I mean, first of all, it's so easy to sort of start your own thing, like with a podcast, working from home. But yeah, yeah. The, but you know, the the, the breadth. I mean, when you look at Nikki's um, sort of uh, his his accolades and his his list of achievements, like judging for the Junos and. Uh, like Canadian Music Week and these sorts of things. Like his influence is amazing, and and a voice uh, at Hillside too, right? Yeah, he was like yeah, the yeah. MC of the MCs at Hillside. So yep, if there's anywhere. You've, I mean, he was just pretty much everywhere. But yeah, I hear that voice. I you know it's yeah. Can I can hear it in my head? It's well, there's and, uh, <laughs> he will live forever in the archives. Um, uh, there's that too, and it's a fantastic. <laughs> if you have not checked out the Crooked Beat, mm-hmm. now is the time to do so because it's an amazing show. Well, on that note, uh, <laughs> uh, bittersweet note, we have mm. to throw it to our interview with Peter McSherry, who is running for the Progressive Conservative Party here in Guelph in the upcoming provincial election. He is an employment lawyer. You may have seen his ad on the front page of today, um, Guelph Today, that is. Uh, but uh, he is he's trading it all in for a run at politics. And we talk about what his issues are going to be, why he's running, what he thinks his qualifications are, and what Doug Ford is like one-on-one. So we will throw it to Peter McSherry starting right now. So Peter McSherry, thank you so much for hopping on with me today. Oh, my pleasure, Adam. Thank you very much for having me. Well, 
for people who may not be familiar with your uh, professional life, although you, I, I, I don't know for other people, but when I've gone on Guelph today lately, it's usually your smiling face that greets me on the, the landing page. Um, but you are an employment lawyer. You are highly um, involved in the community. Um, why did you decide to get into the dirty business of politics? <laughs> Well, you know, Adam, I really believe in helping people and serving back to the community. Uh, you know, uh, throughout my career, I've always seen law as a way to help people. You know, I end up going in and my pr practice is primarily helping individuals deal with some of the toughest times they have when they lose their employment. And they're so worried about what comes next and making sure that their families are looked after that uh, I just really want to help people and make sure that systems that are in place work for people rather than the people work for the systems. It's interesting to hear you say that because that's the invisible stuff of being a politician, isn't the one-on-one the -on -one stuff. I mean, everybody has the great speech in the house, um, the, the great, you know, slam or the great response and question period. But I mean, that's 90% of the work is somebody coming into the constituency office with a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, I get the biggest status job satisfaction from being a lawyer from the personal story of the people you're helping. Uh, you know, oftentimes the law you're dealing with can be, uh, it's the same and you're dealing with the issues and you've heard them many, many times, but it's really the people and the impact that you make. That is where, where the enjoyment comes from and, uh, what gets you, gets me excited to, to do the, to do the job every day. Mm -hmm. So given all that, um, and maybe we've touched on it already, but um, what do you think makes you a, a good candidate for a member of provincial parliament? Uh, what, I, I guess, what, what are your qualifications to, to put it coldly, you know, uh, what, what would make you a good representative for Guelph? Well, um, I think, you know, I've got a, I think I've got a professional background in law and service to help people. I've got a really good uh, background, I think, in the community. I've been involved in a lot of different things that has given me access to a wide spectrum of people and, and issues that people have. You know, I've been in, very active in Rotary and in Kiwanis. I've been involved in Torchlight Services and Bracelet of Hope. And, many, and, um, and most recently, I'm vice chair of the Guelph Police Services Board. I think I have a wide range of interests and people who I've come into contact and issues that I've been involved with. But I think, you know, I think back to high school when I was in uh, on the wrestling team and our coach's uh, advice, which is you have two arms, two legs and a head, just like the other guy, go in there and do, do your best. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about breaking things down to their basic parts. Um, you know, this is going to be a, you know, there, I think there are a lot of issues sort of running around uh, that people are worried about. And I mean, obviously the big one is what uh, the world looks like post COVID, but leaving that aside for a minute. Um, I mean, what are the issues that you want to attack? Like kind of what, you know, what are like the top three concerns for you um, that you want to fight for in this election? Well, I think at a, I think that quite frankly, healthcare is probably the biggest issue. You know, I think that, you know, 
more than ever, I think we've seen that this lack of social cohesion or uh, disputes that we've had really come down to healthcare. And, you know, before it was always important, you know, healthcare was always important and it was a nice to ha- nice to have and we always felt bad about things. But I think what you've seen in COVID when, th- you know, the effect of this is to make it, to realize that this is really, really, really important that and that when people feel threatened and that their health care isn't there for their for their family themselves and their loved ones that uh, just, people really break down and conflict comes and we just can't allow that to ever happen again we really have to just as a group say we everybody has to do their piece we may there may be parts of this solution that are don't appeal to us but we've all got to find way we've all got to find a way to make sure this just doesn't happen again you know and i think that that's a big part of what's going to hold Canada together and allow us and Ontario and Guelph in particular, you know, so I think healthcare is a huge one. And in Guelph, it's really, really important because healthcare has been, you know, it's been on the back burner far too long. Our local, we need a new hospital desperately. Mm. Uh, You know, our emergency room was built for half the population that we have now. And it is, you know, I just drove by today to take a look at it just to sort of get my mind around it in preparation for today. And you see a sign up saying temporary, like what sense does that give people that their health care is there for them when, Mm -hmm. when their emergency room says temporary, you know, and it brings, I'm a a certain age that, uh, you know, I'm not quite a, I'm not quite a boomer yet, but I'm getting there. But, you know, it makes me remind, remember my high school days and not in a good way. I went to a separate school board and where it was a land of portables. And I do not want to see that to be the, the future of Guelph's healthcare or Ontario's healthcare. So I really think that, uh, you know, healthcare and getting a new hospital and push it doing as an MPP who, you know, is on the inside track with the Doug Ford conservative team doing everything they can to make sure this community gets a new hospital. And, to, and in the meantime, getting the you know the urgent facilities that we need to keep up you know with our growing population because we're 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 a very rapid growing community here and we've been left behind and it's 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 getting it's getting critical and we need to have an mpp who's laser focused on that so i think that's a big one right and then i think and i think the other part is just affordability of ontario you know, uh, we need to make sure that Ontario becomes more affordable for all our citizens. You know, uh, I was really happy today to see that uh, they've moved on the transit front so that we're going to be giving, uh, you know, it's going to be much more attractive for particularly for students at, this, at the university where they're going to get a break on the, you know, using go and local transit for the University of Guelph students and that their uh, transit fees are going to be reduced overall as well. So I think this is really, that's going to help, you know, pocketbook issues that help everybody. But overall, I think it's the economy and uh, creating opportunity so that we can grow out of, the, we can grow out of this pandemic and do it in an environmentally sustainable way. I, I think you're right. I mean, we do have a lot of students who come from the GTA and perhaps use um, Mississauga Transit or the TTC to connect to go and then come to Guelph. So that there could be I think that you're right about the benefits. Um, you mentioned the new, like advocating for a new hospital. And this is something, you know, you hear about all the time out in the community that, you know, we're, you know, according to the census, 140,000 now rapidly growing, as you said, 
Um, to your knowledge, I mean, what are the barriers aside from just like sort of advocacy? Um, like, you know, it's not kind of like, hey, we should build a hospital here. And somebody says, you're right, we should. <laughs> you know, what are, what are the kind of like red tape barriers? Well, I think we need to realize that there's a lot of other communities that are, that are working on this too. And that, you know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of circumstances of site selection. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, just this hasn't been a priority at the local level of, you know, we haven't pushed it through the system at Queen's Park the way that other communities have, you know, we've, we've got left behind and, uh, you know, we need somebody at Queen's Park who's going to be in the, who's going to be in the, in the government side, pushing every step of the way to make sure this happens. Fair enough. Um, I want to address something else that, you know, the provincial government could help us with. And, and you're kind of a, aware of this from your role on the police services board. But I mean, we have a number of local programs here in Guelph meant to help people who are uh, underprivileged, things like Impact, as I said, which I know you're familiar with, but like Welcoming Streets, Court yeah. Support Worker Programs. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening in Guelph that's like kind of being developed locally that could use provincial support. Um, is there, you know, are you interested in sort of leveraging uh, a role of MPP to sort of find that money from the upper level of government? Oh, absolutely. This is, this is all part of the, you know, the overall strategy of healthcare. Hmm. You know, uh, certainly the and the, the progressive conservative government has been on top of this pre-COVID. Uh, you know, back in March of 2020, they established the ministry of uh, mental health and addictions. So this has been a priority uh, item for the government before, even before COVID. Uh, you know, it's, it's, this is growing, this need is there. You know, we, need to, we, need, we definitely need to address this and that's definitely part of the overall strategy that we would be looking at for Guelph, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I wanna talk a bit about campaigning uh, I'm sure you've thought about that. First of all, let me just ask, have you started door knocking and doing sort of the other sorts of things that uh, someone eager to start a, a political campaign is doing? Yes, I have. <laughs> it, has been, uh, it has been a challenge to get going on this between inclement weather and, uh, quite frankly, the, Omer the Omicron uh, sh shutdown, which made it you know, very challenging to go out and be able to campaign door-to-door -door in the way that, you, that you just, it just wasn't really appropriate or safe to go to people's houses and then present yourself. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a challenge. But, yes, we've got around that and started, that, started our campaign. Um, and how is the, you know, sort of being on doorsteps and listening to people's concerns, how has that informed um, your ideas um, behind your candidacy, the issues you want, you want to run on, or have you found a lot of overlap? Um, I th when I talk to people, when you talk to people, they are primarily concerned with uh, the, the COVID and where are, we, where are we going from here? You know, there's all this, those, there's those concerns. Absolutely. Uh, you know, people are wanting to know what comes, what comes next, you know, uh, you know, people feel that they've sacrificed for the last two years and had uncertainty and they're looking for somebody with a sense of direction to, that's going to help improve their lives and the lives of those they care about. Mm. And this is the question I was originally trying to get to, but you know, you, you kind of touched on it. Omicron throws a wrench into the, the best laid plans of everybody, but you know, we're kind of no we're hoping things are getting better. We're kind of uh, 
not married to any sort of particular notion of what the future is going to look like, though. So, I mean, how are you kind of planning the, you know, the campaign from when the writ's drawn up and um, trying to, I guess, um, roll with the, the COVID developments? I guess, how flexible are, are you feeling about your, your, co- your campaign strategies? Well, I guess I, I first of all, I'm going to say to you, I, I don't totally agree with you that we're not, we don't have an overriding, uh, you know, condition in this. And that is mm. we do, we do because everything that this government's done, it's been based on the safety of our, of the populace of Ontario. Mm. We're not going to, you know, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to do the safe thing and keep people safe because really all the candidates are in the same boat on this. You're mm. not at a competitive disadvantage. Like I think anybody who decides to not put the safety of their citizens first is going to be, is going to be the one at a competitive disadvantage. Mm. Uh, you know, I certainly think that warmer weather's coming. Uh, it's going to be, you know, it looks like everything is settling down and returning rapidly returning to normal and one, but politics is a one-on-one business. You know, it's a high trust business. People have to know you, like you, and trust you to feel comfortable telling you what's really on their mind and what's really bothering them. And that's difficult to do. It's not, you know, in any other way, in any other way. So I think it's necessary to move that way. But everybody else will be in the same, everybody else will be in the same boat. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, so I don't feel a compulsion to try and, uh, you know, get worried about, you know, if, 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 if COVID comes, rears back again, I will, do, you know, the conservative government will do the safe thing and I'll do the safe thing. And I'll just be confident knowing that we'll move to, we'll move to other campaign strategies. But I think politics is primarily a one-on-one. Mm. Did, you know, you're a politician, which means you're also a political observer. Did, you know, seeing how the campaign worked last fall, like have any, um, I guess, bearing on your thoughts about how this works or how this is going to work um, in, in the spring? Well, I'm hoping that Ontario, that people are we're going to be able to have a new focus and that we're going to focus on gr- growth and how we're going to grow, grow out of COVID, and mm-hmm. then we're going to try to put a politics that is going to be offering a more positive view for Ontario. Certainly, that's I'm really, really excited about the plan that Doug Ford and the, con- the progressive conservatives are putting together. You know, we're putting together a growth plan. You know, we're going to be building highways and schools and hospitals and investing in the medical professionals so that I hope that we can become a far more co- cohesive province and going forward and that uh you know life is going to return to normal and hopefully in many ways better Mm. you mentioned running a positive campaign um i I saw the picture and i'm sure you did uh that uh you and uh rochelle Devereaux from the the, who's the liberal candidate and mike schreiner who's the current mpp from the green party uh had a bit of lunch last fall um I, I yeah. think a lot of people like that as, uh, you know, sort of a, a good sign that, you know, you can be competitors, but still uh, sit down and dine together. And I guess uh, I'm wondering, you know, in, in the heat of the campaign, how how can we stay positive? How can we keep away from, you know, personal attacks and, and that kind of thing? Have, have you given any thought to to that? Well, I guess I have. <laughs> and the answer to that is, I actually 
work in, every day in a field that's full of uh, ad, in a very adversarial environment in law. And you can, there's two ways you can sort of approach it. You can snark at people, but it doesn't really get you anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you, once you go nasty, you can never really go back. So, you know, nobody ever really trusts you again. I'm going to say that uh, I've known uh, both Mike and Rochelle through Rotary. I think they're fine people. We disagree politically. But I, I fundamentally believe that you run your own race. You know, uh, this isn't about tearing others down. This, is a, this should be a high-trust sale to people. I'm saying to you, like, trust me with your health care. Trust our team with your health care. We, we have the plan to rebuild Ontario in a way that's going to be positive. We want to build highways. We want to build hospitals. You know, we're looking, to, and, and we're going to protect your environment, too. We're not a one-dimensional, brittle party. We're positive. We want to be positive, and we, we want to be the party that, inv- that is going to set up the inviting environment because we're going to have a million more people come to Ontario over the next 10 years, and we need to house them, employ them, and make, sh- make sure that people can thrive. You know? mm. So I don't feel that getting into that negativity is the way to convince Ontarians or Guelph. I, you know, I think this is a positive campaign as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask because, uh, I mean, you, you are running for the PCs. Uh, Guelph has not been, shall we say, particularly hospitable to people who are running with your flag in the last 20 or so years. And I'm sure that's that's factored into uh, your considerations as well. So, So I guess how can... Uh, how can a PC candidate break through in Guelph where perhaps your, your predecessors have um, not been able to? Well, Adam, you know, maybe it goes to my professional life of representing people who've just lost their employment, but I like an underdog. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very, uh, you know, but... <laughs> I was going to say that was a very tactical political answer. <laughs> You know, it's I it's a it's I I just think that uh, it's just I just think it's time to you know you you have to stand up and talk about what you believe in and offer a positive alternative and just feel that you know you know every, everybody has to do that and it's not really about me it's mm. about and it's not really about any of the other candidates either it's about giving the citizens of Guelph the opportunity to vote for the kind of government they want that has the priorities that suits them that they feel is the best to take them forward for the next four years. Mm-hmm. And I feel that I can make a great, uh, I feel very comfortable making the position that the Doug Ford and the PCs that we're providing the, the options and the path forward that's best for Guelph. Have you had a chance to, to meet and talk with premier Ford? Yes. I, I'm, I'm always interested in this because I mean, most of us are only familiar with the party leader, through the camera, like the, the media appearances, the interviews and things. Can you talk a bit about sort of your one-on-one experience with Premier Ford? Well, sure. In order to become part of the, to become a candidate, you have to have a, t- you know, you, you have to talk to, he calls you. He's a very one-on-one kind of politician and he wants to talk to you. And I had a very lengthy 
telephone conversation with them as part of the nomination process. You know, you go through the system, but they tell you, as much as we like you and think you're a great candidate, you're not in until you've talked to, to Doug and he's <laughs> had a chance to talk to you. And, uh, you know, he gives you his gives you his cell phone number and, uh, you know, he's a very personable guy who really, really, really is focused on serving people, you know, and, you know, it's interesting when you talk to other members of caucus and they talk about, they say, you know, that uh, Doug put such a focus on, on serving people that, and that he talks to so many people himself that, you know, if you, if he suggests that you need to call somebody to help him out, you know, they said the last thing you want to do is have a conversation later by telling the premier why you're busier than he is. And he's had time to talk to the person again since you, and you haven't. <laughs> so yeah, he's a very, very much a uh, hands-on guy who believes in serving people and doing the best. And, you know, so I, yeah. And he's done, that's the approach he takes to his candidates too. I was going to ask if you got the cell phone number, but you did. So uh, also, also well on that front. Um, Maybe to wrap up, uh, you know, we've talked about the stakes of the campaign. We've talked about what you think the issues are going to be. But, you know, you don't get into politics unless you're, you know, you're excited about the campaign and getting out and meeting people and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. So what are you looking forward to? For me, I think I'm looking forward to having the conversations on the doorsteps with people and getting to talk to people and find out what they're what they're thinking about. You know, uh, there's nothing like a reality check of taking what you think is, a, you know, uh, where you think the way to go is. And then you talk to the people who are supposed to benefit from it and getting their getting their take on it. There's no substitute for it. And I think that's one of the I think that's why uh, general elections are really good, because people candidates go around and you talk to people and you get a re, you get that reality check. Uh you know, we're, we're not entirely sure when the writ will be drawn up. Are you, like, are, are you getting antsy? Like, we're, we're in March now. It's it'll be April before we know it. <laughs> and it'll be getting closer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to say to you, it's a mammoth undertaking to that all of us are undertaking to go and talk to all the citizens of Guelph. Absolutely. And, you know, it's certainly we've you know every time you sort of thought you'd get going on it it's been there's been there's been setbacks with omicron so yeah it's uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting going on full full uh going full on and getting getting out there and getting it getting it going yeah <laughs> all right we feel the excitement uh mostly because we are a political show but uh peter mcsherry uh thank you so much for your time and uh we look forward to having you back again once the the campaign starts for real thank you for coming on Thank you very much, Adam. It's been a pleasure. And so once again, that was Peter McSherry. He is running in the provincial election for the Progressive Conservatives coming soon to a ballot box near you. Um, and there was another like election-related announcement this week. And I wanted to say this just for Scotty Hertz. Um, Ward 1 mm-hmm. Councillor Bob Bell has said he will not be running again. He is stepping down. So I'm just going to play this for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know me too well. <laughs> just to so add he in- could come in for an interview now, then, right? Since he's got nothing to lose or win, just come in and talk. 
I think that's very that sounds very ambitious indeed. But I, I did want to end the show with a bit of levity since it's been a pretty it. heavy show. Anyway, yeah. uh, that is it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to us, go to our website at opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire and on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can check out the show again by downloading it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And you can find me on social media. Personally, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, or at least what's on, check out cfru.ca slash shows. And remember, the price is always right. Because <laughs> it's free. You're welcome. Anyway, stay tuned for DJ Sounds Good to Me here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM or CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for more Prices Right, and we will see you then.